Welcome back to another Functional Analysis Podcast. I'm Dr. Fred Clary, the founder of Functional Analysis, and this podcast is going to address something that is very apparent in life. Everyone can see it. Everyone knows it, but uh, they don't know what to do with it. And what I'm talking about is movement, how we walk, how we run, how we skip, how we get out of chairs, how we roll over, how we turn our head. Now, no one really thinks about it unless they're an athlete and they're running and they get hurt and they have to rehabilitate to try to learn how to run again without pain. No one thinks about it until they're shoveling snow. We have a big snowstorm on the way. Imagine that. It's fall in Minnesota and we have a snowstorm coming. So you bend over and with a a big scoop of wet, heavy snow and your back hurts and you can't move. You have trouble getting out of chairs. You have trouble walking. You have trouble standing upright. So we don't think about movement and our posture, what we look like in space, and usually until something's wrong. Now, if you're an athlete and you have a good coach, they're constantly trying to change what we call body mechanics, change your mechanics to make you more efficient, to throw a punch better, to run better, to jump over a hurdle better. But we don't really realize is that we see body movements all through life, and just not in humans. You see, if a dog's upset or scared, You see, if a dog is upset and scared, you'll see a tail between its legs. If it's mad, you'll see it sneering and crouching back on its back legs. And these movements, these postures tell us something. Well, we've kind of forgotten that in in humanity. Now, there were some good physicians many, many years ago. Um, Galen was one in 100 AD. There were some Ayurvedic Um, physicians at about 600 BC um, in India, or what would become India, um, that talked about movement. Hippocrates, the great ancient Greek physician, talked a little bit about movement and posture. But honestly, it's gotten away from us. In fact, what was considered standard of care and is still in our lexicon, the words we use, is bedside diagnosis. The person's laying down, and you got to figure it out by their complaints, their symptoms, maybe some blood work and some tests. What's wrong? You know, you're not really actively looking at the patient. We're looking at tests and lab results. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, and even in our uh, our media, you watch these movies about how great modern medicine is. And they're more talking about the tests and some weird condition they have. They're not looking at the patient and really seeing how the patient moves and breathes and looks. And our nervous system, which controls every part of our body, will give away information all the time. And it's these movements, you know, going from infancy to adulthood, we go through a developmental stage with movement. Now, we all know that a baby can't move. Then it moves its head, starts controlling its eyes, lays on its tummy and reaches out, rolls over, sits up, tries to stand and falls, crawls. It's amazing when they start scooting along. We'll stand up, holding onto a table, then start walking, then start running, then start jumping. Now, no one questions 
this hierarchical stair step forward progress. One to two to three to four to five. No one questions that. And we understand in science that each movement developmental stage takes a little more energy, a little more resources from our body. And when things take a little more energy and a little more resources, guess what? When it takes up some of your budget, your energy budget, your resource budget, you can start seeing some problems with that. If your roof of your house caves in, you have to fix that roof. That takes priority. Some basics, your roof over your head. So you're not using that extra savings you saved all year to go to Disney World. There's no vacations being taken. That's extra. So a lot of these movement programs lay on top of each other, though they're separate. And what some really great um, physicians, physical therapists, movement specialists have noticed over the years is that when we get sick, when we get tired, when we have even the flu, and I'm not talking, you know, hurt just knee pain, but when you get sick and have the flu, your movement changes. And that has to do with shifting of resources. So shifting of resources in the cerebellum, the back of your head that can coordinates movement, and it's kind of like a, a movement mismatch coordinator so we can reach out and catch a ball and not miss it. Um, our motor cortex, which is up front in our brain, which has to figure out which parts to use. And then like our basal ganglia in the middle and deep in our brain, which starts, stops, and it also helps co coordinate contraction and how much contraction we're going to have. So these three areas, along with others, coordinate this motion. And when there's a, something going on with the brain or the body, we sometimes can see these little chinks in the armor when someone walks. We know that happens with pain and joint pain. Say you, say you injured your knee playing football when you were 16 and now you're 46 and you have the flu. Your knees are achy, your back is achy. Do you really think with the flu that you have such a high viral load that it's gone to your right knee, right where your old football injury was, to swell it up and cause an infection? No, what happened is you have a systematic infection probably in your lungs and your nose and that your brain has to partition and shift the energy budget, the research budget over to the immune system to kill the bug so you don't get sicker and that you've always had pain coming from your right knee since you were 16. A little bit of nociception, a little bit of achiness because you injured it. And that was being filtered at the level of the thalamus, deep brain structure where all sensory information goes. And that's being filtered out. But because you don't have that extra energy to filter, remember, you get nothing free. To fire a neuron, to even filter out information, costs money, costs resources, costs neurotransmitters and ATP. So nothing is free in the body, sorry. Things don't happen passively. Everything is active. So in the nervous system anyway. And so that being said, when you get the flu, your joints ache because that achiness was coming in before. Guess what? You were filtering it out. You know, so you don't have all these systematic infections in all your little joints or you'd be dead. So that's just a perception issue. Doesn't mean it doesn't really hurt. It's just a perception issue, though. It, there's always been some um, nociception or pain firing there. What does this have to do with movement? Well, you can see when someone's under stress, depressed, how they move. We all know that when someone puts their head down, 
and they walk real flat-footed, that they could be depressed. We all know when someone's manic and happy and joyful just because they just had a Thanksgiving dinner, you know, maybe their chin's up and their chest is out. They're getting full inhalation and exhalation. We know those postures intuitively. Well, imagine if you could watch how a body moves and find out where the inefficiencies are. Say someone's walking and their hamstring, right hamstring's not working. It could be because they have a right knee or hip injury. It could be that they have a problem in the ankle or the shoulder on the other side. But if you could look at that body and say, you know, I know there's some symptoms and we got some things going on structurally maybe, maybe not. But I know if I get that hamstring working, they'll be more efficient. And if they're more efficient, then the brain can shift resources and work on other things. Say, maybe digestion. Fred, did you just say that making someone walk more efficiently because they had a right hamstring issue can help you with digestion? Yes, that's how it works. It's called a budget. And imagine your brain is just like your bank account, your business bank account or your home bank account for those who don't have businesses. Or work, and if you work for a business, you understand this. If all the money is going toward, say, digestion and is going toward gait or is going toward, you know, stress, then other functions don't happen. You can't hire new employees. You can't make new products. You can't pay the bills. And a lot of times our body can't pay the bills. And you start seeing those symptoms happen. So what's most important? Well, we know in the body it's, you know, pumping blood, breathing, and movement. Movement is higher than your immune system when it comes to priorities. Why? Well, I can catch a cold today or I even can get an infection today and I can live for a few minutes. I can't live for a few minutes if I can't run away from a saber-toothed tiger, climb a tree, or throw a rock at it. I can't live if I can't stand up and land on my head. There's a big craze in rehabilitation for low back injuries, neck injuries, shoulder. I see it in PT. I see it in chiropractic. I see it in personal training. I see it at homes. Is balancing. We're trying to strengthen the core. And that kind of makes me a little, you know, upset. It's like you're not strengthening the core. You're strengthening the brain to increase your balance. You're increasing vestibular function. That's a fancy word for balance and eye coordination and being able to stand up without falling on your head. So this strengthening of balance, this strengthens the nervous system. And once you get good and efficient at it, you can use other resources, your budget, for other things like digestion, like eating. There's so many things that you can use that for. So thinking about it this way is you have a budget. And if all the other functions of the body are more efficient and economical, then you can use that money other places. Digestion, you know, immune system function, mental health, anything, heart, cholesterol, blood pressure. So what we find is when people work on movement therapies like yoga, they go running. A lot of people said, I went running and I lost five pounds and I feel great. Well, that five or 10 pounds you lost really didn't help you out metabolically. What it, what it did is made your breathing and your heart and lungs and your muscles more efficient. And then your body could use that extra energy because it's not spending it on movement somewhere else. And whenever we get sick, here's, here's the, the key, the secret. Whenever we get sick, you can see it in the body. There's a fingerprint when someone has a heart problem. 
or a knee problem or a hip problem. There's a gait. There's a way of moving. You can see it. Now, we always say, oh, yeah, I can see a bad hip. I can see a bad gait. Well, of course, you see him limp. But there's a quote-unquote lip or antalgia or inefficient moving pattern for almost everything. You can see someone who's depressed. You know how they walk. Most humans walk pretty similar. You can see someone with a bad shoulder, how they walk. You may not even know they had shoulder injury. You're not seeing them reach with their arm or their hand, but the way they swing that arm. And improving gait, improving movement can improve so many other functions. Like I said, because the economy of the brain, you get to shift that money and spend it in other departments. So movement for our body is hierarchical, okay? The human nervous system, the central nervous system, that's your brain and spinal cord, is organized with higher centers such as cerebral cortex controlling the lower centers like spinal cord. When their deficit occurs in the motor system, the more primitive forms of movement controlled by the lower centers like brain stem and spinal cord, real basic postures, they take over. What happens is you have to reestablish control for a higher center. When I work on stroke rehab or cerebral palsy rehab, I use what's called the Bobath model. And the Bobath model basically teaches trying to get those higher levels of control back. Normal movement can be facilitated by providing patterns of movement and working on recovering that. So we're constantly trying to get someone how to say, use their muscles correctly to get out of a chair. When I'm working on stroke or cerebral palsy patients, trying to reach correctly without overcompensating. We've all had a bad shoulder and we reach for something, we see our trapezius and levator scapula contract and raises our shoulder up. We get a high, we hitch our, sh- our shoulder up. We've all hitched our hip or our knee when we've had a bad back. But you can see these subtleties even before some damage is about to happen or there's an old damage and making your body more efficient movement is one of the top priorities of the body it's not immune system we think it is but it's not there's more control for movement more neurons in your brain to control movement than the immune system it's very complicated this network of movement so what we do is try to go through and put in a normal sequence of movement as practitioners. Um, I know Tim Anderson in uh, Original Strength. He does a lot of stuff on crawling and movement. Um, Functional analysis I've been doing for 20 years. We focus on walking, crawling, standing, sitting. I was uh, in a class teaching a couple months ago and there's this uh, guy who thought he was pretty strong, pretty, pretty smart kid. Um, athlete, and he couldn't even sit out of it, sit up out of a chair correctly, and you know, firing his glute muscles, his hamstrings, and quads in the correct order. Now, it doesn't mean he can't get out of the chair, but if he's wasting a lot of energy just trying to get out of a chair, say, say, it takes a hundred units of resources to get out of a chair for a normal person, using all the muscles in the right order, right sequence correctly. For this guy, it took two hundred. Where's he getting that extra hundred? Where's he getting the extra money? It's like talking to my kids, you know. You got to stop writing checks if there's no money in the bank. You're going to bounce. Well, we don't bounce in the nervous system. We get symptoms. We get diseases. Yes. So movement can betray that someone is coming down with a sickness and illness. And if movement is more efficient, 
that's why there is more energy and resources left over and you tend to be healthier. So looking at how you move, looking at how you stand, just not upright posture, but actually how you look. What are your eyes doing? What are your head doing? Do your eyes actually coordinate with the ground when you're walking, when you're talking? Looking at eye movement, head movement, hand movement, foot movement are very important to understanding the physical condition of the nervous system. Since it's one of the most complicated tasks it has to perform, and a lot of it is automatic, which we will cover in another podcast. But I just want everyone to wrap your head around, the doctors and even the general public listening, that how you move can affect your health. And that correcting how you move, and there's a lot of therapies out there, and there's a lot of different therapies out there. But right now, I want everyone just to wrap their heads around that how you move, how you get out of a chair. If you just work on how you get out of a chair and how you walk and get that corrected, how much more energy you'll have, you'll sleep better, and some of these conditions will magically start going away because your nervous system, which wants to heal, heal your indigestion, which wants to heal your hormonal issues, if it's spending all of its ATP and resources in a different area to keep you from falling on your face because your movement is so inefficient, then these, these other areas have to be le- left with less. They have to be neglected. And a neglected function becomes a diseased function. This is Dr. Fred Clary, and this is another podcast.